All right, good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be back. Again, my name is Brandon Bullock. Uh, this is my third time here. Uh, so I'm, again, just thankful that you guys keep wanting me back. Uh, it means I'm not doing a terrible job, but uh, I'm just happy to assist whenever Matt needs it. So uh, I'm actually scheduled to come back again next month, I believe. Um, so look forward to that as well. So uh, with my church, I'm a part of a church out in Westerville, Ohio. It's called Cornerstone. And uh, we're, we're actually going through a sermon series in the book of Colossians. Uh, so this is where this message comes from. So I know you guys are going through Luke, so it is a break from Luke, but I hope that some of the things tie together, obviously. Um, but that's where we'll be in Colossians chapter 3. Um, now to kind of intro it, uh, I, I, the, if you had the bulletin, it says that we're going through verses 5 through 8, chapter 3. But I like to intro it with the, the verses right before. So Colossians 1, 1 through 4 here, or Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So that's the intro here to the verses I'm going to be talking about. I remember in college, actually, right as I became a believer in college, it was about my sophomore year, uh, I had this verse painted on my ceiling. So I would wake up, and that's what I would see in the morning. Uh, so that verse has a, a special place for me. But uh, what, Paul is, or, what Paul is doing here is, uh, prior to these chapters in Colossians, he's, he's getting a very, like, what I call a, a high-level view of spirituality. And then chapter 3 takes this turn, and it turns into this practical uh, advice that Paul gives us, almost like a command. Um, and, and here he says, verse 1 of chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ. And I always say that is a big if. Okay? If you have been raised with Christ. If you look back at Colossians two thirteen through 14, let me read that. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So if this has happened to you, the reality of who we are prior to Jesus is that you were dead. You were not alive. You were dead spiritually. And sometimes what happens is this idea of, of, of what happened prior to us being believers is that there's some sort of uh, action on our part where we take, we, where we step towards faith or you know, we, we walk towards Jesus, and, and the reality of it is that you were totally dead. Uh, I heard it once said by this preacher where he was talking about where you were is you were a corpse chained to the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean. No chance of you ever becoming alive. And what Jesus had to do is he dove to that point. He rescued you, brought you up to the shore, breathed life into your lungs, and that's what it means to be made alive. That was an action that only God did. Uh, think about the story of Lazarus and ask yourself the question, did Lazarus ask to be made alive? No, he was dead, and Jesus acted, and so he made us alive. So when Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, like I said, that is a big if. So he is talking to believers who have been risen from the dead. Okay? That's what this passage is for, is believers. Um, so this passage it gives a command. Okay? Chapter 3, like I said, takes that turn. Uh, Paul is urging us to become in practice who we are in reality. So what he says here is, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above, um, where Christ is seated, 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is who we are now. We are found in Christ. And so that's where these verses pick up. Um, So set your mind on things that are above. Uh, That is the first step in this mindset. I I titled this message, Pursuing Holiness. Okay. Uh, So let let me read a quote for you from John Piper. He says that the pursuit of holiness is gradually becoming like Jesus or becoming holy. Becoming conformed to the image of Christ, little by little over time, from conversion till Jesus comes back or you die, you are in the process of sanctification, becoming sanctified, becoming holy. So the rest of the book of Colossians 3 is this idea of Paul giving us this practical advice on how to become holy, how to become like Christ. And so for Colossians 3, 5 through 8, this is the first practical advice of how we can set our minds uh, above what that looks like in our everyday lives. So he says in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8 here, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So this verse I guess in today's world can be controversial. Um, but what, what's going on here, like I said, is this, this pursuit of holiness. God is calling us to that. Um, so I'll just break it down verse by verse here. In, in verse 5, what I call A, so the first part, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Paul is getting serious here. Okay, This is serious language. Put to death what is earthly in you. Why are we to put this to death? What is going, why? Because we have died to our old selves. And we are now alive and part of a new kingdom with a new ruler and a new set of expectations. Okay. Um, because we die with Jesus, we can actually now get rid of sinful practices. Prior to Jesus, you are a slave to sin. You have no choice but partaking in sin. But now that we are made alive, we have a choice now. And, and I'll read Romans six, ten through 11 here says, for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's a connection there for us. Um, like I said, we have a new set of expectations. Um, what's interesting about this verse, too, is that the original Greek, the way it's, it's worded, it says, put to death, therefore, your members that are on the earth. And that, that teaching reminds me of what Jesus taught in, in Matthew chapter 5. I'll read that here. It says, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. So a very serious teaching by Jesus about how we are to respond to sin. And Paul is echoing that with this verse. So we are to go to extreme measures when we're fighting temptation and sin. Um, so that, that, that's where he's taking us. He's getting serious here. And then he lists these earthly deeds of the flesh. And uh, I'm not going to say these are the most common, because obviously in this room I don't think this is a very common thing, but in this world I'll say these are common things that people struggle with. Okay? Uh, first thing, sexual morality. That word there is the Greek word for pornaya. It's where we get the word pornography from. Uh, it is a what I call a junk drawer term. So imagine the junk drawer at your house. It's filled with everything, batteries, pens, whatever you can fit in there. That word is 
it, it means a whole host of different sexual sins, okay? Um, it, it's any type of perversion or sexual activity outside of marriage. That's how the Bible uses it. So it's adultery, it's fornication, it's homosexuality, it's sex with relatives, divorced men and women, and even animals is how it's used in the Bible. And it's, just, it's this junk word term that is used to describe a lot of different things. Um, the next thing there is, is impurity, the next word that he lists. Uh, this is associated with sexual sin. Uh, Jesus used this word, uh, the same Greek word, when he was talking about dead people in tombs. Uh, let me read that for you. So Matthew 23, um, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. A word uncleanliness is translated here uh, as impurity. And, and what Jesus is saying there is the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're, they're like these, these grave sites where just dead people are in there. And, and what Paul is saying here is, is this impurity, that's associated with dead people. You are no longer dead, you are alive. Okay? And so those things are not to be associated with you because you are now alive. Uh, Romans one twenty four also mentions this impurity as well. And six times this word is used, impurity, and it is always paired with sexual morality. That's, so that's why I'm always uh, pairing it with that. First uh, Thessalonians 4.7 says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Okay. Again, there's that connection. We're to be holy now as believers. Um, the next word is passion. Uh, this word is, is not the, you know, I'm passionate about animals or helping people or that type of word. It's, it's the passion associated, again, with sexual morality. It's a, it's a fire is what the Bible describes it as, a fire. I was joking. I said that's why in the romance novels, that's why there's always fire in the background. That, that's, the, that's the passion the Bible's talking about here. It's this burning desire for sexual morality. Um, again, this is used three times in the Greek, all in reference to sexual morality. First uh, Thessalonians 4 again says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So there's our connection again. We're called to be holy here. Um, next word is evil desire. Um, that one is a little self-explanatory to me. It's just evil things. Uh, but if you want to reference uh, Jesus, again, in John eight forty four, he says, You are of your father the devil, talking to this, the Pharisees, um, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus uses this word in reference to Satan. Evil desire. That's what Paul is going for as well. Uh, next word, covetousness. Um, it may seem strange that we're, we're talking about sexual immorality, all these impurities, and, and then he goes to covetousness. Like, what, What's the connection there? Well, uh, covetousness is greed. So it's the essence of idolatry is actually the desire to get. Okay, it's this desire. So you pray to a, a false god, you pray to these other gods, or you even wish or have these dreams and hopes, and it's for your selfish desire to get. That becomes your idol. That becomes who you worship is yourself. You want these things yourself. And uh, he's saying, put that away as well. And I say idolatry is an attempt to use God for man's purposes 
rather than to give oneself to God's purposes. Like I said, ultimately, it is not a desire to give, but a desire to get. So in our pursuit of holiness, that should be our heart, is a desire to give and not to get these possessions. And Paul is again urging us to put that to death. So, he lists those five things there, most of them revolving around sexual morality. Um, why is he saying it's important to put those things to death? That's the question I ask in reading this. Why is that important? Um, well, to give context about the book of Colossians, the letter that he wrote, uh, he's writing to a church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's about 100 miles inland from the coast. And they were obviously Greco-Roman, their culture. Uh, he was writing this letter while he was in prison, actually. He never visited this church. It was founded by another person. Uh, but he's writing in prison, and he's writing to believers to encourage them not to be swayed by the cultural push there was to abandon the teachings of Jesus. Okay? So he's obviously on trial for what he believes and what he was teaching it was illegal for him to say those things, and he's encouraging these believers to hold fast in that teaching. You can trust it. So, verse 6, when he says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's the reassurance of what he's teaching and what Jesus taught. That this list of things that he just went through, the wrath of God is coming because of those things. Do not believe the lie that says that nothing is going to happen when those things occur that there's no punishment for that type of sin. Paul is encouraging them there is that punishment coming. Um, this, this, this passage is actually mirrored with Ephesians chapter 5. And what's interesting that is that those churches were separated by about 100 miles. So that's here to Cincinnati. Not much distance between those two churches. So he's writing to the same people, same culture, and listen to what he says in Ephesians 5 here. Ephesians 5, 5 through 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So a direct, almost verbatim uh, comparison there. And Paul, again, is urging those believers, as he is with the church here in Colossae, to hold fast to that teaching, to, uh, to put to death these evil desires. Um, and so the wrath of God is coming. There, there's another teaching here. If you want to turn here, you don't have to. Again, I'm going to read it. John chapter 3. Again, very famous, John 3.16, what Jesus was teaching. But shortly after that, John the Baptist is speaking with people. And he says in John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's another teaching about wrath, and I personally love that verse in Scripture. And the reason why I love it is because I think what John the Baptist did was brilliant here. Okay, Notice the, 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 the two types of people he's describing here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So that's faith. If you have faith, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. But then what he does is he says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So he turns it around and he says, instead of faith, it's about obedience. And if you don't obey Jesus, then the wrath of God remains on you. and You do not see this eternal life. Why that's important is because he's separating what happens to believers and non-believers. If you are a believer, your faith is what saves you. 
your faith in Jesus. That, that saves you, and that's why you have eternal life. If you do not obey or do not believe in Jesus, what happens is your life becomes about obeying the law of God, and no one can do that perfectly. And so what he does there is he separates those two people. So if you do not obey God, which no one can, then the wrath of God remains on you because the way wrath from God is averted, or I should say the way it's dealt with, is one of two ways. The wrath was either poured out on Jesus on the cross, and so you believe that, and so you are found in that, which is what Colossians 2 says, the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's one way God's wrath is poured out, and the other way is on people who do not obey his word. And it is horrible, that wrath. Okay? And so that, that's the two ways that God's wrath is, is poured out on this world. It's either through Jesus or at the end on people who do not obey. Um, so Jesus, uh, it, it's, the wrath is coming on the immoral, is what we're trying to say. But for believers, I want you to be encouraged by this verse. Okay, that the wrath of God is not on you anymore. That is why we sing songs about that. That is why we praise God that, that, we, that, that we believe in Jesus. Um, so there should be some sort of, of praise when you read that, that the, on account of these, the wrath is not on us as believers, but Paul again is, is warning that the wrath of God is coming. Okay? Um, I think that, that sometimes as believers we, we shy away from the talk of God's wrath. And why I understand why that happens, I, I think we need to be careful to shy away from it too much. Okay? Uh, my, my, where I go to is, like I said, there's, there's two ways to look at wrath. Okay? You can look at it as, over here, I'm vengeful. I want people to be punished for their sin. That's one way to look at it. Or the second way is to have compassion and to say, I want people to turn away from their sin because I know this wrath is coming. I know that it's true. I want them to turn away from it. That's the two ways that people look at God's wrath. Okay? And the story I go to, and I've preached on this before in this room, was the story of Jonah. If you remember back to that story, it's a prophet who wanted to see people destroyed. He wanted to see God's wrath poured out on a people that didn't know God. And what ended up happening was God actually caused the people to repent, and they all believed. And there should have been this joy from that prophet, but instead there was this anger that he didn't get to see them destroyed. And as believers, we need to be the, and the other side, where we need to be on God's side of it, where we want to see people repent from their sin. Okay, it's not a good thing that God's wrath is coming. It is coming for, on account of these things, as Paul says, but we need to be believers that, that pray and hope that people would repent from that sin. Okay? And what Paul does here is he then, in verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. There's the assumption there that, that they understand that they were also dead and that they once walked in these things. Okay? Now again, culturally, it's, it's not the norm for you know, people in this room, people in our church, to have really struggled with these things, but sexual sin is, is prevalent in this world. Um, and, and like I said, as a believer, it's something personally that, that God has worked through me as well, that has rescued me through that um, but Paul here is saying, in these you two once walked, and I believe that is, it's number one based on their culture and history, right? Uh, he's speaking to those who have been redeemed out of this sexual sin. The Greco-Roman culture was openly uh, sexual. 
They had many acts of worship develop, or devised that was just sexual in nature. They go into a temple, and that was the act of worship. Um, and that was open, that was common in that area. And then, but I think it's also here as a way for us to have that compassion and common ground with those in that state. You too walked in these things, but now you've been rescued. Um, and then let us never forget that idea that we have been rescued. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is the reality of who we are now in Christ. And Paul is reminding us that we were once opposed to God here. Um, so let us never forget that we've been rescued from that. Again, that is praiseworthy there. Uh, something interesting, that, that third song that we sung, um, Here's My Heart, Lord, Take and Seal It, Seal It for Thy Courts Above. Um, no matter the church I go to, whenever that song is sung, there's one lyric that is sung the loudest every time. Okay? And that is, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I believe that's a, a, a statement of who we are. Is we know that we were sinners. We know that we are capable of sin. And we, we hate that. So that's why we sing that loudest, because we don't want to be those people. And this is just confirmation to me that we sung that song today, that, that in these two we once walked when we were living in them, but now we've been rescued from those things. So be encouraged by that. Um, and, and like I said, I think that's meant to, to show compassion towards others. Um, verse 8. So, if you have conquered the sexual sin side of things, praise God. If you never struggle with it, praise God every day, especially in this culture, that you have never struggled with that. Okay. So if you've cleared that hurdle, Paul says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So you've cleared the immorality hurdle, but now it's time to address the spillover that comes out of your mouth when you talk to people. Because as Jesus said, what comes out of your mouth is overflowing from your heart. That's what he said. So Paul is saying, okay, you're good with that, then let's dig deeper here. Let's look at some of the things that you say and speak and how you treat others. So he says, anger and wrath, the first two. Um, I believe those are, are emotions that, that God is the only person who can have uh, that would be holy and pure. Because as humans, we, we will skew that and we want to see the wrath out of a selfish desire. Um, we are to be slow to anger and let God handle the vengeance and wrath. That's what we're called to be as believers. Okay? God handles wrath. God handles the vengeance. He handles those things. And, and we're called to be like Christ, like God, which is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Okay? That's what we're called to as believers. That's how we pursue that holiness. Uh, the next word there is malice. Interesting word. Um, it, it's only used basically one or two times in Scripture. Two times. And it means a desire to injure. Okay, that's what the Greek word means there. And it's the opposite of sincerity. And where I get that from is 1 Corinthians 5. Okay. It says, this is an interesting verse. So he's, he's trying to um, relate some sort of festival that they have, which is talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
Okay, and he's talking about your body as representing this lump of, of bread and leaven representing sin. Okay, that's what this verse is talking about. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. There's that part about who we are now in Christ. We are found in Christ now. We are new creations. Um, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that's where I'm getting the idea of malice is the opposite of sincerity. So when you're talking to someone, are you sincere? That's, That's the goal here. Or do you want to see them injured? Do you want to see God's wrath poured out on them? It's, a, it's, a, it's an internal question we have to ask. Or what, what is our state of our heart here in talking to non-believers in particular? Um, do you want to see that? Or do you, are you sincere and want them to turn away from their sin? Uh, so malice is there. Obscene talk. This one is the only time it's used in Scripture. I had trouble finding a good definition. Uh, I was joking with our... Uh, or Bible study, I was like, I feel like it's when you watch a Netflix special or a comedy thing, and the person says something that you and your both wife cringe at, and you're like, oh man, we shouldn't be watching this. Like, That's what obscene talk is. Whatever that comedian says, whatever you hear, and you have that cringe, that's obscene talk. That's what I was going with. Uh, again, not something I feel like we struggle with as a church body. Um, I don't walk around thinking, man, people really struggle with obscene talk. That's not something I hear, but Paul, again, is just urging us to, to be considerate of those things, and perhaps even what we take in should be filtered. Um, so it's just a warning there. Um, so we're putting all these things away, and, and I just have here that our speech is to be kind, pure, and truthful. I feel like that's the goal here. Kind, pure, and truthful. So when dealing with these desires of sexual sin, that's more of an inward focus where your heart is, and then the dealing with our outward expression is the second half of the, the speech here. So we need to be careful with how we are just in our heart in general. So Paul is giving us this first set of rules here, not rules, but this encouragement and this um, practical advice on how to become holy. Okay. Um, so like I said, like I mentioned earlier, this is a call to holiness. Okay? As John Piper stated, as what I'm about to reiterate, holiness is just being set apart. Okay? You were dead. God made you alive. So now you're called to be part of a different kingdom now. Like I said, new expectations, a new ruler, and this is a call to holiness. It's a pursuit of holiness and a corporate pursuit so as believers, I believe there's a call for us to, to be open with our struggles, okay? to, to confess sins to one another, knowing that God forgives those sins. Um, and so it's this pursuit, it's a, it's a corporate pursuit of holiness. That's what I would encourage people in this room to, as a church body, to, to be about that. Um, again, I heard another pastor talking about this, especially speaking to younger people about the idea of where's the line? Where is the sin line? I came from a college ministry, so I encountered those questions a lot. How far is too far? You know, what, what should my heart or desire be with my significant other, with my girlfriend, with my boyfriend? What, what is the line? Is what everybody asks. And as Christians, you are called to be as far from the line as possible. 
That's the advice I would give you. It is a call to be away from that line so far that you don't even question that. If you have to question it, you're too close to it. Okay? But we are called to be as far from that line as possible in pursuing holiness. God is opposed to these sins. He has listed these things out very clearly. About eight times in Scripture, he has listed these things out. And so he is clear with this message. We are called to be holy and to pursue that. And so, like I said, that question of where's the line is as far away from it as you can think. That's the line. Okay? Um, Another encouragement from these verses is that you can put to death sin issues. I think that needs to be reiterated so much here. We were dead, and it was we were incapable of doing the right thing. But we have been rescued, we've been washed, we've been cleansed. We can pursue holiness. That's something only believers can do. And so if you're struggling with something, a sin issue, you can be confident that you can repent of it. That's what we're called to do. And there's an encouragement here that as believers, we get to do that. We get to turn away from our sin. We can repent from that. And that should be celebrated um, in our church body. Um, again, another uh, call here, I, I believe, is to be compassionate with others. Okay? This culture that Paul was writing to, he, he knew what they were struggling with. Okay? He knew what they were up against. And I believe it's one of the times in Scripture where this was written 2,000 years ago that we can look at it and actually somewhat relate. Okay? Where we are currently with our culture, what I just said was hate speech. It's considered that. If you tell someone what they're doing is wrong, it's considered hate speech. And Paul was encouraging these believers to hold fast in that truth that the wrath of God is coming because of these things. And so as believers, we need to be strengthened by that and be confident in that knowing that God can use that to turn people away from sin. The Holy Spirit is working miracles every day. That's what he does. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness. I don't do that. The Holy Spirit does that. My job is to proclaim his word that has been clearly stated and then let God work with that. Okay? Um, but, like I said, when, when we are communicating this message, we need to be compassionate. People have to believe that you actually care. If you do not, what does it say? You are a resounding gong. It just clangs all day long if you have no love in your heart for that. So you have to be careful with this message. But again, I don't think we should shy away from it. Learn from the story of Jonah here where he, again, preached the shortest message ever and it was exclusively about wrath. Forty days and yet Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all he said. Wrath. And yet God used it uh, to teach a, a very important message. Um, but for us, we need to not shy away from it, but have compassion when we talk about it. I think that's the key. Um, so, like I said, this message was, was pretty short here. Um, it, it's, I hope, like I said, that, that you can be encouraged by this and that as we, as we walk through this together, uh, especially you as a church body as you work through this, that, that you would, again, be open and confess things that you're struggling with. And as a body, that you would not hold it against people when they are struggling with things, but that you would encourage them to repent of those things, knowing that you have also been forgiven of your sins. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to close out. Like I said, this was really short. You guys get a lot of time back in your day. 
Wait, I have nothing. No, I'm kidding. I don't have nothing. But uh, <laughs> let me pray for us, and, and you guys will be dismissed after that. Um, so, Father, we just we praise you for your word. Praise you for the truth and the reality of who we are now in Christ, that we have been cleansed, we have been washed, and that we are alive, Jesus. And I praise you for that truth, um, and that we get to turn away from sin, that we get to worship you and, and praise you for that work through the cross. I pray for anyone in this room who may not know you, that you would use your word uh, to awaken something in them, Father, that the Holy Spirit would move, and that they would come to a knowledge of who you are, Jesus, and, and the glorious truth of who you are. Uh, and I just praise you for the opportunity to get to proclaim this. And like I said, I pray that you would, as we walk away as believers, as followers of you, that we would be like you, Jesus, that we would seek those things, we would pursue holiness, and that we would really, truly be sincere with people and pray for them to turn. And so we just thank you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.